0: This is the Craft of Coaching podcast, where you'll learn about how to become a life coach with a strong skill set through understanding the craft of coaching. I'm Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. As the director of a life coach training program called the Courageous Living Coach Certification Program, I'm passionate about the craft of coaching and how we evolve the skills and the industry. Learn more about our program at teamclcc.com, and here's today's episode. Hey, hey, everybody. I am going to be talking to you today about some work that I think is so vitally important for us to do as coaches with our clients. And it's not just work that's important for us to do with our clients. It's the work that we got to start with ourselves. I, you know, anybody who's been listening to the craft of coaching for a while, you know that it starts with us. That's where the ripple effect comes from. You can't draw from an empty well. You can't give what you don't have. And it's part of the work of being a life coach to fortify yourself, to expand your skill set, to develop more emotional resilience in a whole host of areas. So any of you who are personal development nerds and you're like, I love a new book on, you know, living my best life. It's like, good news. You become a life coach. And that's part of like your J-O-B. That's a lot of fun. Um, You got to start with you, right? That's what this is all about. You got to start with you. If you want to help your clients, you got to start with you. And here's a big thing that I think a lot of coaches need to work on. It is something that we cover in the coach training program, of which I am the director, the Courageous Living Coach Certification, which of course you can learn more about at teamclcc.com. And it's this How do you talk to yourself in your head? And that means we're going into the territory of the inner critic. All right. Now, before you hit pause and before you groan, oh, inner critic, oh, my God, it's so cheesy. Ugh. Whatever that noise was that I just made. <laughs> um, here's the thing, Okay. Uh, you can't get away from the inner critic. You can't get away from an internalized critical voice or an internalized stressful voice. You can't get away from it. You can not like the term. You can think it's cheesy. You can do whatever you want with it, but you can't get away with it. And I can like, like there's research behind this. Everybody's got this voice. And I often think that it's a lot like what Dr. Brene Brown says about shame. You know, she says that, you know, People think they don't have it, and the more someone thinks that they don't have it, the more it's actually controlling their life. When I was writing my book, The Courage Habit, I looked for research that found that you know, there was a, an absence of this critical voice, and I, I didn't find research that indicated an absence. I only found research about moderating the critical voice, not letting that critical voice control you. Also, what I found when writing The Courage Habit, the common ways that we try to deal with fear really fall into one of three categories. We either try to avoid it, like ignore it, you know, stick your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 I don't hear you. But of course, that doesn't work. It only works for the short term. People will try to placate their fear or their critic, one and the same, really. And by placating their fear or their critic, they're trying to do everything perfectly in the hopes that it won't kick up. So they're trying to over-prepare, maybe. They're trying to dot all their I's, cross all their T's. Again, short-term solution, sure, but doesn't ultimately work in the long term. Okay? And then the other way that we try to deal with the critic or fear is to attack it. That's where you get into people telling it to F off and shut up and stuff like that. So think for a moment about how you regard your fear. And, you you know, if you don't want to call it fear, you could call it anxiety. You could call it the voice in my head. You could call it ego. Whatever you want to call it. I call it the inner critic. It's a nice neutral term. How do you typically deal with your own inner critic? Do you avoid it and try to pretend it's not there? Do you placate it and try to do life right, do life perfectly so that it won't be very loud? Or do you attack it? Do you tell it to shut up and go away? And then let's take that to how you coach your clients when your clients come to a session with you and they tell you i'm having a really awful week i was starting some work on my book that i've been working on and um, i really you know i couldn't make any progress cuz this voice in my head was just telling me who are you to write a book your writing's no good anyway how do you work with your clients on fear in those moments do you tell them to go into a role play where you tell the fear to shut up do you give them strategies for ignoring the fear, or do you move into trying to set up strategies so that the fear won't come up? Like, you know, only write write for 20 minutes, and if the fear comes up, you just say, you know, uh, thanks so much, and you just keep writing anyway. And I'm not bringing any of those options up to make anyone feel bad about how they've been coaching. Those are really common strategies and they do bring some level of short-term relief. They also, by the way, happen to be the strategies that most of us are taught or have modeled for us. And because that's what most of us are taught or have modeled for us, we go, well, that's all there is, right? This is what there is. The critical voice comes up we got to find some way to not let it control us, and the ways are to tell it to shut up and go away, to do life really well so it won't come up in the first place or won't be very loud if it does come up, or just, you know what, just got to ignore it. What else is there? Well, interesting question. I'm so glad you wondered about that along with me. What else is there? Let's talk about what else there is. How about embracing the inner critic? And if you're like, huh, embracing the critic, I don't know what that would even mean. Or if you're like, uh, embracing the critic, so cheesy, here's what I'd say, if it's the latter, really. Um, If it's, I don't even know what that would mean, you're in luck, we're going to talk about what that would mean. And if it's, uh, so cheesy, embracing the little critic, you know, kumbaya and sparkles in the air, love yourself, then I'd say, whoa, 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 what's going on? that there's that kind of a response to the idea that you would express kindness to a part of yourself that is wounded. Have you ever met anyone who talks the way the critic does? Who is a happy, healthy, functional person with high self-esteem? Like if you met someone outside of you, of course, who talked to you the way your critic does, would you think that is someone who is just like a healthy, happy person who's lived a good life? No. You'd go that person, first of all, I don't want to be around them. Second of all, um, if, you, if you stop to think about why they got to be that way, you go, this person has been wounded. They have been hurt. They have been harmed. That's how people end up that way. I don't know how often anyone listening to this has had occasion to see a newborn baby. But when you look at their little noses and their little toes, can you possibly look at that little newborn baby and think they're born going, you're so lazy, why don't you try harder? No. They were not born that way. Anybody who grows up and says those things was wounded, probably by someone who said to them, you're lazy, why don't you try any harder? I believe that it is our job, our mission as life coaches, to help our clients unhook from the patterns of the past that are showing up in the here and now present and The patterns from the past have to include the inner critic and how we talk to ourselves. The patterns from the past are how we were conditioned to critique ourselves, how we were conditioned to treat ourselves when we make mistakes. You might not think of that internalized critic as being separate from you, but it is the voice of someone who modeled something for you. And you internalized it, and then it sounds like it is you, which gets very confusing. It is not you in the sense that it is telling the truth. It is you in the sense that it is a reflection of a wound that you have experienced. And everybody has an inner critic, because everyone has experienced wounding. I've got a critic. I'll be the first to raise my hand in any room around that. So if avoiding the critic, pleasing or placating the critic, and attacking the critic are not effective strategies for dealing with the critic, again, that question, what else is there? Well, how about we go, this critic is wounded. It's a wounded aspect of the self. So how would you treat any client you've met who was talking to you about a place where they were wounded? If a client said to you, I was deeply hurt. A friend betrayed me. Would you say, just ignore them? Well, I guess you could say that to a client, but that doesn't really do much for the fact that your client is sitting there processing feelings of betrayal and hurt. There's no empathy there. You could tell the client, you know what, sweetie? Just go do something good for yourself. Go do some self-care, kind of like placating the feelings could work, right? Sitting in a hot tub is a a lovely way to spend an evening. But really, if you've been betrayed by a friend, again, where's the empathy? It's probably deeper than that. And if you tell the person who has been betrayed by a friend, just F off with them, you know, you don't need them in your lives. They suck. Eh." Again, you know, maybe the person that you're clienting is going to, or that you're coaching, is going to feel like, oh yeah, my coach really cares about me. They they think I should, you know, take no shit. But again, we're back to it's temporary, because behind the anger someone might feel after a betrayal, there is, I'm hurt. So how do we attend to the wound? How do we attend to the wounding? Well, here's what I found in the research. And this is backed up by narrative therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. There are a lot of different psychotherapeutic modalities that use this and um, what I'm about to go into. And since psychotherapy is our closest industry that we can really look to in coaching, I think that it makes sense that we go, well, what is the clinical research working with different populations indicated when people have these negative, ruminative, self-critical thoughts. Well, here's what the, in, the research indicated. We need to listen without attachment to those thoughts. So we need to listen, but without attaching to those thoughts as being true. And we need to reframe limiting stories. So when the critic pops up for you and says, well, look at that, you're so lazy, you should have tried harder. What needs to happen is you need to listen without attachment. Okay, right now my critic is saying that I'm lazy and I should have tried harder. But not believe that you actually are lazy and not believe that you actually should have tried harder. Because the truth is what's going to come next is the reframing of the limiting story. You do the best you can in every moment. That's the reframe. This takes time and practice. In the courage habit, I talk about a process called redo please. It's also one that we teach our trainees to use with clients in the Courageous Living Coach certification. And redo please is a tool for when you notice that critical voice coming up, interrupting it and not just letting it keep going and going and going. Because, yeah, like, you know, I'm not saying listen without attachment means you just have to listen to a barrage of criticism from your critic. Listening without attachment means boundaries so if you were walking down the street and um, a friend of yours was was walking with you and they suddenly turned to you and said well I couldn't really believe that you did that my hope would be that you would kind of look at them and go uh that didn't feel good to me (laughs) <laughs> like, is there another way you can give me that feedback? Because that didn't actually work for me. My hope would be that anytime your children, your own children, if you have them, are speaking to you in a way that's disrespectful, that you have an understanding, a compassionate awareness that kids do things sometimes that are not respectful. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that they don't always have the tools or the ability in that moment to speak respectfully. My hope would also be That you'd, you know, I mean, like, I'm a mom, so I'll say a mama bear. Go into a little bit of mama bear, a little bit like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm mom here. (laughs) Not your servant, not your punching bag on a bad day. I want to hear what you have to say, but you don't get to talk to me like that. I am the adult. I am the mother here. Hold up a minute. Let's talk. Let's take a breath. This is the same thing that so often we need to do with our own internalized critics. Hold on a minute. I wanna hear what it is you have to say, but it has to be phrased respectfully. So that's where we get into this phrase, redo please. Redo as in like a a do over. Redo please. I'm open to hearing what it is you have to say, but it's gotta be phrased respectfully. Literally, we teach, like I said, our trainees to do this with clients, but the first thing that we're teaching people to do is to do it with themselves. So try it on for yourself now. You, if you're driving, of course, you know, be very you know, careful, safe, all that good stuff. Um, but when you have a chance to get to a piece of paper, think about the last time that you felt really self-critical and try writing down some of the things that the critic says. And when the critic says things like, You know, you really could have tried harder. It's like, oh, redo please. I'm open to hearing what it is you have to say, but it has to be phrased respectfully. I'm open to hearing what it is you have to say, but it has to be phrased respectfully. Redo please. And if your critic comes back with, I'm just telling it like it is. Great, critic, thank you. You're telling it like it is. Redo please. I need you to tell it like it is, in a way that is supportive, in a way that is respectful. I believe you have something valuable to tell me. I need you to phrase it respectfully. What's really going on here? So that's listening without attachment. And then we get into the reframing of limiting stories with that rephrase. You really could have tried harder. How about, instead, reframing that limiting story, I did the best I could. And if your critic comes in with stuff like, this is very common for for people's critics, well, you know, you know better, so why didn't you do better? Well, you know, if somebody intellectually knows better, but they don't action (laughs) what they know, you know, they don't come in and they don't do better in a tangible way in their lives. Um, And this was like a mind-blowing moment for me when someone first explained it to me. I got news for you. They don't actually know better. The saying, when you know better, you got to do better. It's like, well, yes, I, I do believe it is a psychological and evolutionary um, idea to go with that when you know better, you want to do better. But if just knowing better doesn't necessarily mean you can do better because you can know something intellectually and still not understand how to implement it into your life experientially. You might not know In the moment when somebody asks you to do something, you might know intellectually, I don't want to say yes to this. I want to stop people pleasing. And you still might have so many feelings of, oh my God, what if they think I'm a selfish jerk that you end up saying yes anyway, which means you don't yet know experientially how to give your true yes and your true no. And uh, by the way, that's okay. I mean, speaking of the inner critic, the things we do to ourselves around this critic, the way we treat ourselves, I, I, I uh, yeah, I'm just having a little moment here recording this episode just thinking of how often I've heard a client or someone I love deeply or someone I have just such high regard for Speak to those places where the critic is just really hitting them hard. And that critic is a wound, and we can understand that, but it's still like, my goodness, what could life be for you if you did not believe that to be true? So that's the work. We don't need to avoid our critics. We don't need to placate our critics, and we don't need to attack our critics. We need to listen to the critic, but without attaching to the critic's words as truth, and we need to reframe the limiting stories. That is our job in these moments. And it starts with you. So this is the work moving forward. If you wanna make this a really actionable practice, if the idea excites you that there could be a different way for you to relate to your inner critic. One, you gotta stop seeing your critic as bad. It's not bad, it's a wound. I often encourage clients to treat their critics as if their critics are, you know, 10-year-olds or 5-year-olds that are just really limited in terms of their skill set for how they handle emotion. One, don't see it as bad. Two, listen without attachment. Notice those tendencies, those habits around avoiding, pleasing, and attacking and instead, listen without attachment. What's actually going on here? And then reframe limiting stories. A reframe, by the way, is not like law of attraction. It's got to be like high vibe, you know, all that stuff. You're not going from, you know, you really should have tried harder, you know, critical voice, to in every moment I do everything perfectly and there is nothing that I ever do that is a, it's, it's no, we're not necessarily saying that we're saying, you listen without attachment to that voice that's being critical and says, you should have tried harder. And you're going, maybe I could have tried harder. I'm open to looking at that for next time. Or I did the best I could in that moment with what I had available. Or I really want to see what I can learn from how hard I efforted. You know, like an attitude of curiosity. Not, oh, I should have tried harder or I shouldn't have, but maybe there's something to be curious about here. Maybe there's something to learn. There's more of a wide open space that can happen when you start to interact with your critic this way. And my hope is that you would help your clients to interact with their critics in that way too. Because there's a kind of tyranny that can happen when people feel controlled by the critic. There's this kind of breathlessness and desperation around trying to get it right so as to escape the critic's noise and then trying to not be, you know, like perpetuate this cycle of abuse. In many ways, this is one of the biggest reasons to decide that you want to have a different relationship with your critic. If you are practicing abuse towards yourself you are becoming the abuser. Think about that for a moment. If how you speak to yourself is abusive, you are practicing abuse. And if you are practicing abuse, you are becoming the abuser. I think you want something different for your life. I think your clients want something different for their lives. I think we can create a better world if what motivates people to take action is not a voice in their head that's just kicking their ass up and down the street, but rather a deep, loving reverence and compassion. I go a lot farther, a lot faster since I started doing the work to heal the wounding my critic felt than I ever did when my critic was in my head barking out orders. And I've experienced that with a number of the trainees in the Courageous Living Coach Certification and I've experienced that with a number of clients. And Redo Please, in many ways, is one of my favorite tools to teach as a result. If you'd like some more resources for working through some of that material on your own, by the way, my book, The Courage Habit, which I've mentioned, you can get on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, booksellers, all that all that good stuff. Um, but if you head over to yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin and you sign up for the YCL uh, newsletter, you'll get access to the YCL library, which has audios to help you with some of this stuff, including one that I did as a little role play with my friend Valerie. Um, redo please role play Um, and then some worksheets that can help you to break down some of this stuff and you can access any of that even if you don't own the courage habit but of course if you own the courage habit it makes a little bit more sense when you're doing the worksheets and the audios All right. I hope that this was helpful food for thought for you today I hope that you will first undertake the exquisite work of really looking at where the critic currently controls your life in any way, and how you can step into greater love, compassion, and healing for wherever that critic has been wounded in the past. It does not have to run your life. It should not call the shots in your life. It is wounded. It is in a fear-based place. And when the wounding, the the re-wounding, I guess you could say, stops because you have a more respectful relationship with it, it will heal. And it will heal in ways that blow your mind. There is a whole other world out there for how you can talk to yourself and how you can have positive regard for yourself. And it will not be this grasping world of... I'm really going to try to think positive thoughts. It can become who you are to really treat yourself with with incredible positive regard. And the more work you do to treat yourself this way, the more you can help clients to do this work as well. And that is an incredible gift. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope that we can connect. I'm on Instagram as Kate Courageous. Uh, Love it, love it, love it whenever you give this podcast a rating. It is so helpful to help other people to find this podcast and get value from it as well. You can head over to teamclcc.com if you're interested in our life coach training and certification program. And uh, you can head to yourcourageouslife.com if you'd like more information about some of the courage-based work that I do aside from training and the craft of coaching. Everybody have a beautiful, wonderful, incredible day, and here's to you embracing your inner critic.